That's on the WB. It's or CW. It's it's current. You called it the WB, Brian. Which is not current. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 198. Uh, my name is Brian Prilliman. Uh I am one of your hosts this evening. I am joined by Jess Dunks. Hi, everybody. This is Jess. And Brogan King. Greetings. Hello. So we're going back to Dominaria. I was I was never there, so I don't know if it counts as going back. Magic is I, going back. I was, yeah, I was barely there. I uh, actually started Magic uh, in uh, Odyssey Block, which was technically, you know, it was on Dominaria, so... I guess I was there, but I never really referred to it as Dominaria. I wasn't really into magic a whole lot really deeply at that point. That was that was context that you that was not really relevant to your magic playing experience. Yeah, not really. No, I was I was not at an age uh, for me in my development where I cared about the story. It, you know, the closest thing I got to caring about the story was, oh, that Kamal pit fighter guy looks really cool. Got it. It's like this person has a, a sick sword. Yes, I I'm feeling I'm feeling really really old because <laughs> like one of my one of my f- favorite cards from way back in the day was Dacon Blackblade from from Legends. Was like, what Dacon Blackblade? Okay, like th- his sword's okay. in the set, right? Yep. And yep. it's just like the Richard Kane Ferguson art, the the whole thing. I I'm absolutely in love with this set. I'm excited for the pre release. So today we're going to be, or tonight, we're going to be going over the Dominaria release notes. There is so much going on in this set. Yeah. Uh, from a rules perspective, uh, there were so, you know, this is all, this is almost like a news episode as well, because There's a we've lot. got functional changes to magic that are happening along with this set. Um, you know, there's some non-functional stuff too. Oh stuff yeah. It doesn't matter. Like, like we added the, the sweet line that divides flavor text from rules text i love how that looks, it looks really clean i actually little, like it a whole pinstripe. lot yeah yeah i dig it uh legendary creatures get cool like scrapbook squigglies at the top of the card some fanciness at the top of the card mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh uh let's see what else do we get oh, we have a templating update where they, uh, a lot of cards will say uh his or her on the card uh, moving forward, Wizards of the Coast will just shorten that to the singular they. Uh, if there's an instance where that could be confusing, it will refer to that player in order to disambiguate. Um, I love it. I love it so much. And uh, so they, they what else did they do? Uh, uh, they're changing it again with the shortening. Uh, they're changing it so that if you add mana to your mana pool, instead of saying on the card, add this mana to your mana pool, it will just say add this mana. Right. Add ma- mana of uh, whatever type, but doesn't talk about your mana pool. Add blue, add green, add diamond, diamond, diamond for colorless mana. Yeah. Um, and uh, any abilities that refer to objects on the stack um, are going to say, uh, you know, this spell instead of calling themselves out by name. Instead of saying the, the name of the spell, it'll just say this spell. Yes. Which yes. I think is, I think is more intuitive because I've, I have had questions where someone is like, no, they're, they're talking about if it's another, if it's another one of the same card, do you really, is that, is that what you think that's saying? Yeah. And it's it, really, when you get into it, that's not that hard to understand, but it is something that people sometimes don't get right away. 
right? Because we they have can, to stop and think about it. If we can make it less ambiguous, let's make it less ambiguous. Yeah. So that's all the stuff that changed on cards, but doesn't actually have an impact on gameplay. So let's begin talking about the stuff that changed on cards, but does have an impact on gameplay. So uh, what kind of functional changes do we have? We, we had... Uh, we, that, we, pl- that pesky planeswalker redirection rule. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone. Doesn't exist anymore. Poof, poof, gone. Uh, there are many episodes where we have talked about planeswalker redirection. So with the planeswalker redirection rule, uh, you have this situation where it used to be that if I lightning bolted you, I would cast lightning bolt targeting you, uh, and I would, when it resolved, say, I would instead like to deal three damage to your Gideon. And then you would take three counters off your Gideon. Now, uh, Lightning Bolt has been errated. Instead of saying it, that it deals three damage to target creature or player, it instead says it deals three damage to any target, and I can target your Planeswalker directly. And, uh, you know, a lot of cards were errated to that end. In fact, there were roughly 700 cards that received some kind of errata to, to that effect. So, so most cards, most cards now, if it said, if it said creature or player, uh, it's not going to say, you know, creature or player or planeswalker or any target. Uh, not all cards got errata that way. They kind of used some rules about like if it looks at the player and makes decisions based, based on, you know, the cards in hand of the player or permanence the player controls and maybe it doesn't go to the planeswalker. So re- really, we're going to have to get used to it for a while and just check the the, the current Oracle wording. Yeah, there's going to be a fair amount of looking up Oracle for things. I don't think there's going to be as much as people are afraid of because here's what I think will happen. For the first several weeks, we're going to have a lot of looking up cards happening. But then as people become more familiar with it, the cards that see a lot of play in modern and the cards that see a lot of play in legacy, people are just going to know about. And everything else, people don't play. I mean, people might play it in their commander deck, but in that case, I kind of expect them to know how that card works. Or to be willing and uh, excited to look it up in the first place. Right, exactly. But, you know, I, I don't think uh, I don't think it's going to be as as painful as a lot of people seem to think, especially, you know, moving forward in standard. Obviously, it's going to be fine because the cards are going to say uh, right. The really weird part is a few years from now when these cards that we're seeing come out new start to become old and people are asking questions because they haven't seen those cards before. And we're they're going to be like, how does this work with Planeswalkers? And we're going to have to go, hold on. When was it printed? Oh, like like and these cards that are coming out right now? Yes, these cards that are coming out right now. You know, if a card coming out right now says target creature or player, it means target creature or player. Um, yeah. And so so right but, now that's but obvious. But it's not going to be explicitly saying out. Planeswalker on it because it, doesn't, exactly. because it doesn't mean Planeswalker. But if older ones did... They might mean Planeswalker. So yeah, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to depend and we're going to have to be like, well, when was it printed? Uh one of the the other changes that they did is they're they're embracing the fizzle. Uh, embrace the so fizzle. Embrace the fizzle. So uh, they are changing a lot of a lot of cards have sit, said on their text can't be the can't be countered by spells or abilities. They're just going to start saying can't be countered. Um, so normally we talk about something being countered by the game rules. Like normally, if a spell has a single target and that target disappears, we say, oh, well, it's countered by the game rules. Uh, no, they're, it's just put into the graveyard. It's, it's so it's not it's not countered, you know, so they're saying no longer removing the uh, or they're removing the can't be countered by spells and abilities part because well, those are the only things that can actually truly counter things. 
that's so that's colloquially called fizzling. The spell fizzle. And there was the, there was this fight against it for such a long time because it's it's countered. It's countered by the game rules. It's countered, but we don't you know we don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, game rules no longer counter anything. So anything that previously said it can't be countered except by spells or abilities will now just say this can't be countered. Uh, ooh, can we talk about everyone's everyone's favorite format? Every oh, judge, man. every judge's favorite format. I love this format. It's great. Uh, yeah, let's talk about it. What do you got? Uh, two headed giant. Um, as of as of Domin- Dominaria, when you are playing two headed giant, you are attacking one of the individuals, not attacking the team. So if one player has a propaganda, one of your opponents has a propaganda or anything else that makes you not want to attack them or can't not be able to attack them. Congratulations. You can attack their friend. Okay. That's a, that's a great segue into, into, into Dominaria related rules <laughs> changes. Literally yeah, we, anything so else. We just spent like 15 minutes talking about rules changes that are not related to Dominaria directly. Uh, right. But we have a lot of stuff that is happening in Dominaria, you know, that's, uh, uh, actually really interesting. Um, what do we want to talk about first? Probably one of the big splashy mechanics for this set, right? Because this is a whole set about like, you know, epic history and storytelling and, Lore and all sorts and, of stuff. So you're saying that they're, that this is a saga. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So saga cards, they're, they're just an enchantment subtype. Really, like they're just this, you. You play this enchantment. It looks crazy. You look at it. You're like, I don't know what this card is. All it is is a, an enchantment with a bunch of text next to the art instead of below it. Right? It's like, it's, it's it's more confusing than it needs to be. Honestly, yeah. It's it's like if you look at a saga card, you're like, oh, this looks totally different than a regular magic card. It's a regular magic card. It all that text could be below the art, and it would look like a regular magic card. It's just got three sections of text. Each of these sections is a chapter. We enters the battlefield to get a lore counter. Okay. Uh, well, that, that's just to clarify. That's actually a replacement effect. It's an as instead of uh, a win. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. As it enters the battlefield, that is a replacement. Effect. Uh, so to, to give you the basic rundown, every turn you put a lore, lore counter on it, and then you do whatever chapter you're on, right? You crank your widget. Basically. Yeah. Oh, well, holy. That is what it is. Yeah. It's 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 it it's it's crank cranking widgets. That's what it is. Uh, <laughs> so in the case of of uh, the saga, the Marari conjecture, as it enters the battlefield, you put a counter on it, and then the first chapter is return target instant card from your graveyard to your hand. So you do that immediately. That well, that's that's a triggered ability that goes on the stack, and then every turn thereafter, you the beginning of your first main phase, you will put another counter on it. And that's that's also not a triggered ability. It just happens. It's a turn-based action, right? Uh, yeah, I believe we've added it as a new turn-based action. And then, so yeah, so basically it's pretty straightforward. When you get to the number of counters uh, for the next chapter, you you don't do the previous chapter, you do the next chapter. So if you put a second one on the Mirari Conjecture, you get up to the, the second chapter and you return target sorcery card from your graveyard to, hand, to your hand. And then when you get to the third one, you can start copying your spells. That's pretty much all there is about Sagas, right? Like, the, the, uh, you, you pile uh, if you, more counters if you, onto it. Go ahead. I was gonna say, yeah. If you if you if you put more counters on it, it doesn't like double your like your value. It's not gonna. If you put a fourth one on, it's not gonna loop back around. Right. Yeah, these these things. It looks like the 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 saga gets sacrificed when the trigger resolves 
So, so if it has three chapters, uh, when the third chapter trigger resolves and it's got the three counters on it, um, then you're going to sacrifice the, uh, the saga as a, uh, state-based action that doesn't use the stack. Okay. So when that, when that third ability, when that, when that third chapter ability resolves, and I think I, I think I read somewhere that the rules are written in such a way that the rules support sagas with like four and five and six chapters, but none of those exist. So for right now, it's just when you do the thing in the third chapter is done. Some, some other things you can, uh, you can add, I mean, these are lore counters. So things that let you add counters two cards or copy counters or something like that. Like you can proliferate and maybe, you know, get a, get a chap, you know, go from chapter one to chapter two during your opponent's turn. Or you could, or you could, uh, you know, have a, have a doubling season. And when you play your saga, you get, you get the, you go, you put two lure counters on it right away. And then you get the first chapter and the second chapter ability right away. Um, So you, you can fiddle a little bit with the timing on these, but you're you're not gonna. I don't think there's any tricksy way to to get additional value here. Oh well, if you oh, you, boy. Can, you can do things to remove counters. That's true. That's true. You got me. Gotcha. Y- you got me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so if if we're if we're if we sound a little bit uh, hesitant on some of these rules, it's because the 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 rules on Saga at the time we are recording this are still not completely clear documented in any one place uh so we're we are working with the information we have what you mean by that is that we've been given the rule number where it will exist but the rules have not actually been released yet so yep so we have what we are pretty sure is the information about how it's going to work but we haven't read the the word for word rules on it so so if there are any changes i'm sorry but i think we've got it i think we're good uh, but yes, you can, as somebody mentioned, uh, remove counters. So you can take your vampire hex mage and remove all the counters and start all over. Yeah, that sounds pretty legendary to me. What else is legendary? Definitely not sorceries and instance. Are you sure? Just sorceries. All right. So these legendary sorceries. Uh, so legendary sorceries are uh, these cool new sorceries that are that represent, you know, like epic events or epic magic spells that have been cast by, you know, characters that we we know and love or if if you're broken and haven't been playing as as long as some of those <laughs> characters that you're being introduced to for the very first time. Hey now. Um, <laughs> powerful cool wizard people. Yes. So, uh so there's the legendary super type does now apply to uh sorceries. Um a little bit of difference in legendary sorceries versus legendary permanents that you might be used to. So you can cast a legendary sorcery uh, or you can't cast a legendary sorcery unless you control a legendary creature or planeswalker. Uh, legendary artifacts and lands don't count. Womp, womp. Okay. Uh, once you begin to cast it, uh, if you lose the legendary cre- uh, or legendary creature or planeswalker, you're still good. So... Basically, when you start to cast it, if you've got the legendary uh, creature or planeswalker, you're good to go. And if it disappears before you finish, eh, you're still fine. Now, the other thing, normally when we think legendary, it's like if you got, you know, we all know the legend rule, right? If you got two or more legendary permanents with the same name, you, you pick one and get rid of the other. Or you get rid of all the rest. Uh, <laughs> I like where you're going with this. Okay. If somehow 
you're able to get two legendary sorceries on the stack at the same time or the same legendary sorcery on the stack at the same time. That's fine. You don't have Uh, to sacrifice one. No, no. You have achieved legendary status because you just did something that was very difficult. You are the legendary sorcery. Right, right. It actually loses the legendary status and gets bestowed upon you. Bestows not um, in this set. You know what is in this set, though? Uh, we, we have a new term that, that doesn't really, it's not a mechanic or a keyword, but we have a new term that comes up on a lot of cards. And that term is historic. Did, would you say something like, okay, debate really quick. Ahistoric or anhistoric? It depends on how you pronounce historic. I know. Yeah, it's, it's either a historic event or an historic event. Uh, I'm not that British, though. Right. So for oh, you, wow. it's a historic event. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, th- things that are uh, historic uh, are things that are legendary artifacts or sagas. Um, yep. That's it's pretty, pretty straightforward. It has that in the little reminder text there. It lets you know. Um I, I do like that our notes here say, if you are a legendary artifact, you aren't double historic. Oh, oh, so like if it if it says, uh, like Joyra Weatherlight Captain says, whenever you cast a historic spell, draw a card, I don't get to draw two cards if I cast a legendary artifact. Yeah, or it's, I mean, it's also just not doubly cool. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Um, some abilities will trigger when you cast a historic spell, like I just said, uh, like with Joyra those will resolve before the spell does. So you put your historic spell on the stack and that trigger goes on the stack and resolves before your spell. Uh, as we as we talked about recently, uh, lands, uh, you don't cast them. So playing legendary lands doesn't count as casting a historic spell. It's very yep. sad. Yeah, that's, that's, that's unfortunate, but it is, it is true. Um, it, it, I, I would like to point out that this is not... Like a super type, it would be very easy to to misunderstand and think that this is some kind of new type or super type. It's yeah. it's not. It's just it's a just signifier a w- that means it's an artifact, a legendary something, or a or a saga. It, it, I don't even know why they bother yeah. doing this, uh, except for flavor, I guess. I think it's I think it's cute. I think it's it's a nice way to to sort of group those things as sort of of epic and impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, without having to give them additional rules meaning, I guess. So like this, the theme is, or one of the themes is kind of legendary, legendary permanent. So they want to refer to them and they come up with the saga stuff and they're like, okay, want to do that. And then they probably were like, Hey, we need a little bit more or something else. So they added in uh, artifacts, which was kind of, kind of interesting and kind of cool from a, a, a a history standpoint. Like recently we've kind of gotten used to uh, artifacts like, blazing torch and right you know kind of real mundane equipment-y type things but back in the uh the old old days of dominaria you know like they didn't have common artifacts all artifacts were uncommon or rare uh they were supposed to be like like despite a lot of them being kind of bad uh they were all (laughs) supposed to they were all supposed to be like these really really powerful magic things that you found they were supposed to be kind of epic and historic they're artifacts they're, right now, they're something Indiana Jones would go find. Right now <laughs> we've got pitchforks and torches and little little, uh, I guess, killbots. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you don't don't go don't you dare go talking about them as though they are mundane. <laughs> yeah, I've never met a mundane killbot before. 
it's it's int- it's a little frustrating to me that there's so many cards that reference legendary, um, but in each context, legendary doesn't always mean the same thing. Like like with historic, like playing the lands doesn't count, and with historic, uh, with a legendary sorceries, it only means creature legendary creatures or planeswalkers. I think it's I think some confusion may may be happening from that um <laughs> yeah so, definitely. So, so so check this out in in the in the old old days uh specifically legend you would have legendary lands but your spells would be summoned legend so <laughs> oh, so legendary gosh. legendary was a super type if it was lands and it was a subtype if it was a creature goodness gracious <laughs> because consistency <laughs> what it is because because that, 1994. That must have been a kick in the pants. Oh, it was great. You know what but else you is a kick in the pants? Uh, kicking. Uh, Allosaurus. mechanic. Yeah. It's, Allosaurus. Uh, Allosaurus, yes. Allosauri. Uh, tele- Territorial Allosaurus has, uh, has a couple of interesting things about it. First of all, it's a card with kicker. And that's really what I want to talk about. Is the kicker mechanic is back. Uh, kicker is really straightforward. A card has the word kicker followed by a cost and you may pay that cost as you cast it. If you pay that cost, the card is considered kicked and there will be something in the text that cares about the fact that the card was kicked. Um, In this case, uh, it says when territorial Allosaurus enters the battlefield, comma, if it was kicked, comma, it fights another target creature. I will point out that that's an intervening if clause. Uh, (laughs) Not that it matters. Um, so basically you can play this as a five, five for four, or you could pay its kicker cost and play it as a five, five for seven that gets to fight something when it enters. So you can, you can play it either way. Yep. And you can play it's It's basically, it's, it's like a modal spell. Just like, do you want to pay four for this or seven for this? It's, it's really kind of neat. Um, kicker is an additional cost. You pay it just like you're casting the spell. Uh, if you're somehow uh, casting the spell without paying its mana cost, you can still pay the kicker cost because it's an additional cost, not, not an alternate cost. Uh, and you can't kick it if you're just putting it on the battlefield somehow without casting it. <laughs> um, let's see. What else is, was there about kicker? Let's see. You can't pay it more than once unless it's a card with multi kicker and there aren't any of those in the set. Uh, if you copy something, if you copy a spell, uh, an instant or sorcery spell that was kicked, that copy will also be kicked. Uh, and if you copy a permanent that was kicked, the, the copy is not kicked because it's that's only true for instant and sorcery spells on the stack because consistency. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's kicker. Kicker's back. It's a mechanic in the set. Uh, of the, the there are a lot of mechanics in the set. That's that's the one we're repeating. Uh, right. Yeah, Every, everything else is new. It's yeah, all kick, new. Kicker so, has been around. The others have not. I was trying to find a good segue into a card that has the word ancient in it, but I couldn't think of it. So here we are. This is our home now. Oh, yes. So, um, oh, wow. Even the next two cards that we talk about could also apply. Yep. Um, so, yes, we're, we're now since we've done all the mechanics, it's time for the card by card. Uh, we're going to start with ancient animus. Ancient animus. Uh, is one in a green for an instant. Put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control if it's legendary. Then it fights target creature and opponent controls. So uh, first thing is uh, you can't cast this unless you have a creature that you can target 
that you control and a creature that you can target that you don't control. Okay. Uh, that creature uh, that you control does not have to be legendary. Okay. You do have um, to be able to target it. You do have to be able to target it. Um, but it's only going to get the plus one plus one counter if it is legendary because it's fighting. If, uh, if the target is illegal, uh, if if either target is illegal when Ancient Animus goes to resolve, neither creature will deal damage or be dealt damage. Um, if your creature is the one that happens to be illegal when Ancient Animus goes to resolve, and it is legendary, but it's an illegal target, it's not going to get the counter. Sad face. Saddest day. Uh, it is. You know, it also has uh, leads to sad faces. Bro- brothers fighting brothers. Brother. Okay, so we can have an entire episode... Uh, a, a whole a whole saga if you will of Brian explaining the background of this of, of of all of these cards to me but I'm here to talk about the antiquities war that I that I don't know yeah. anything about I know what the card does is that um, the same as the brother was brothers war parade I thought I didn't think they were the is, same is it that is the, same? the brothers war okay it's cool. the same thing cool oh is are, yeah. that's two two phrases for the same same thing well there's a book yes. called the brothers war which yeah, at, which I, I guess was also referred to as the Antiquities War, but but the book was called the Brothers War. As I understand it, the Brothers War is what we in the real world call it, but in the Dominaria world, they call it the Antiquities War. Oh, so so the 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 citizens of the land call it the Antiquities War. Yeah, but we, for the viewer yes. from the outside, call it the Brothers Correct. War. Okay. Yeah, us, us cool kids, us in the know, call it the Brothers War or the br- the Bro War. We don't call it the Bro as it, War, as it were. We don't call it the Bro. We don't. Uh, all right. So this is a this is a saga. Battle Bros. No, we don't call it that either. Nice try. Uh, so this is a saga. It's the Antiquities War. Um, we did talk about sagas a bit already. Uh, as a note, that this has the first chapter and second chapter are the same ability, which I stared at for about like a solid 20 seconds before under I was like, did they mess up the printing on this card? And then I understood what it was trying to tell me. Um, but the, the one I'm here to talk about is the chapter three ability that says artifacts you control become artifact creatures with base power and toughness five, five until end of turn. Um, some notes on that because people always have questions about power and toughness setting and things like that. Uh, that last ability will only affect artifacts you control when the ability resolves. If you play more later, it's not going to affect those. If you already have artifact creatures or vehicles, uh, this will overwrite the base power and toughness. So they will be they will have the base power and toughness 5-5. Five, five. Uh, if, for whatever reason, the saga itself was an artifact, uh, it would become a 5-5 five, five before you sacrifice it which I think is just swell. <laughs> Still a creature going to the graveyard, right? That's true. If, if you have something that, that, that cares, congratulations. You have a 5-5 a <laughs> five, five Antiquities War artifact. Uh, flavor-wise, I'm very confused. And additionally, if you have equipment uh, that, were, that was attached to some creature uh, and then it... And then you've activated this ability and it becomes a creature that is going to fall off of what you had it equipped to. So if, if your, your silver inlaid dagger was equipped to something and then suddenly decides to become a five, five, it is not also still attached to your one, one. Man, 
Man, the, the, the more I think about sagas, the less they make sense from a flavor standpoint because they're permanents on the battlefield. So like you could do stuff with them. So like if somebody makes you sacrifice a permanent, you can sacrifice the Antiquities War. Or if you make it into a creature, you could attack with the Antiquities War. Like these things don't make sense. This is just encouraging you to do silly stuff flavor-wise. The next card's pretty complicated. I love it. It's, it's called, really neat. Uh, Ariel. I think is how that's pronounced. Ariel, maybe, but I like Ariel, Knight of Windgrace. She is a legendary creature, human knight, uh, who is riding what appears to be a very (laughs) large panther. It's really sick looking. This is like this is like He-Man level panther. Yes, Uh, yes, Skeletor's Skeletor's panther. That's what this is. uh, And anyway, this this uh, Ariel is a legendary (laughs) creature. Uh, She costs four mana, two white black. She has Vigilance, and she's a 4-4. She has two abilities. The first one costs two and a white and tap Ariel. Uh, I should say she has two activated abilities. The first one uh, says create a 2-2 white knight uh, creature token, and it has Vigilance. The second ability costs one black and tap it, along with tapping X untapped creature uh, knight creatures you control. Actually, just knights. So if you have something that's not a creature but somehow a knight, that too. Uh <laughs> Untap knights you control. Like an antiquities war that you that you so, somehow became a knight? <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh it's possible that anyway. I don't like this. Um so uh you tap X untapped knights you control, destroy target creature with power X or less. Uh a couple of things about this. Uh since she has vigilance, you can attack and activate these abilities in combat and she will still be attacking um that's really cool that's actually kind of a theme with knights if you look back in magic like way back in shards of alara steward of valor did the same thing with a mana ability like this there's just a bunch of like knights do that thing um and for the last ability you can tap knights that have summoning sickness uh because they, they're not the tap symbol requires you to not have summoning sickness for a card that it's on but if you're just tapping something else, it, that ability won't care whether or not it has summoning sickness. So you could tap things that just entered the battlefield, um, and your opponent cannot respond to that by destroying a knight to change uh, the X on, on that ability. Um, it's, it's set when it's activated. So uh, creature power toughnesses can change and make a creature an illegal target for it. Oh, um, that's true. Yeah, that's... I'm, yeah, I'm scared so could, for the first time someone doesn't know that and gets destroyed by it. It's blown out by a, a pop spell, just mm-hmm. a game by creature plus two plus four. And Excuse I actually me, don't know if spider grasp is in the set, but like if it is, then yeah. even, or even just give it like a plus one plus one. Yeah. Like I tap all my knights, destroy that. And then you're like plus one plus one. All right. Oh no. All right. I'm very, I'm very excited about the next card that we're going to talk about. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I want to talk about the flavor text briefly when you're done talking about the rules. Okay. Okay. Um, so this is, this is, uh, uh, black blade reforged. Okay. Dak, Dak on black blade. Again, Richard Kane Ferguson's the man. <laughs> um, this, this black blade looks slightly different than the black blade does in, in Richard Kane Ferguson's art. Uh, but we'll, we'll, it's been, it's been reforged. reforged. So it's been reforged. So we'll, we'll let it slide. Uh, so for two mana, this is a legendary artifact equipment. Equipped creature, uh, gets plus one, plus one for each land you control. That's the Dacon black blade ability. Um, now, uh, here's the thing it has, you can equip it for seven, which seems a lot. 
Um, but you can also equip a legendary creature for three. So this is a new variant of equip. Uh, what that means is um, it's got to have the quality. So you're basically saying equip quality and whatever you're equipping it on has to have that quality. So in this case, it's legendary creatures. The quality mm-hmm. is you got to equip onto a legendary creature. However, once you equip it, um, it's going to it's going to stay uh, it's going to stay equipped even if the creature stops being legendary. So it's not like an enchantment that says, you know, like enchant legendary creature. If it loses legendary, then the enchantment's going to fall off. If you do equip legendary creature with this thing, it's just equipped. Uh, it's not going to fall off if the creature stops being legendary. That's true. Uh, yeah, that leads me so, that leads me into what so, I wanted to talk about a little bit. Uh, I'll, I'll show you how that connects in a second. But the flavor text on this card says <clears throat> it spilled the blood of one elder dragon in Gideon's hands. It may yet taste another's. That's so good. Uh, so, oh, so now what you may not know flavor wise is that Gideon uh, lost his Sorol, which was this crazy glowing whip like weapon that he had. Uh, oh, he lost it. Lost lost that on Amonkhet. Yes. Um, in fact, if you look at the card Gideon's Reproach from this set, it references that in the flavor text because he's just like punching a guy in the face instead of using <laughs> oh, his weapons. No. Uh, and uh, anyway, so so the idea here is that he's going to pick up this weapon and, and presumably fight Nicol Bolas with it. Now, there are a couple of things that are cool about that. First of all, Gideon with a sword is <laughs> way cooler than than Gideon with this the, the previous weapon that he had. Strange whip thing. Uh, strange whip thing. Exactly. Ribbon dancing. Uh, yes. There, now there is another card, a third card that references Black Blade, and that is, and there might be more than that, but there's a third one that's that's legendary, uh, and that is a future sight card called uh, Corlash, Corlash, heir to Black Blade, and it is a zombie knight. Uh, now that may not mean anything that might ever be uh, something that comes to fruition as a real magic card but it would be pretty cool if if Gideon ended up being that character or better yet if we somehow brought Elspeth back from the dead to be the zombie knight that handles Corlash uh, I think that would be pretty neat uh, you know how Black Blade works right it, 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 it actually when you kill somebody it sucks their soul exactly that doesn't seem like a very Gideon kind of thing that's what's so interesting about it is it absorbs the souls of its victims uh, oh. so you're thinking maybe Oh, Gideon could go black white. He could, or just black, or or whatever. Like the, Fancy. The, the story, the story implications of this are are really big. Now, here is what really annoys me the most. About <laughs> okay, okay. I'll tell you what really grinds my what gears. What grinds guys. your gears, Jess? Uh, what grinds your what gears? grinds my gears? Um, is if I equip Gideon with it. So, so we've got this great story going on where Gideon picks up the sword. He's going to wield this sword. Now, in game, I activate my Gideon. It becomes a creature. I pay three mana and equip my black blade reforged to Gideon. He goes and smacks somebody in the face with, with uh, the fancy sword with this, this fancy sword. And he goes done now and drops it on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. Hold on. (laughs) Hang on. Let's, 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 let's argue about this for a second. Cause I think he realizes that it sucks their soul and he goes, Oh my goodness. And he drops it. Cause he can't associate with that. And the next turn he just kind of forgets and he, he picks it up again. Memory. He's like, maybe he's, maybe he's excessively optimistic. Maybe, maybe it's full up of souls and won't steal a soul this time. Maybe it's full. I'm, I'm right. All right. Cause, cause, can it hold an infinite number of souls? I don't think it can. I'm going to move on and talk about a card I don't like with a name I don't like. <laughs> Are we ready? All right. 
Yeah, let's do it. All right. <laughs> thank you for thank yes. you for indulging me. That was good. Uh, damping sphere. Am I right? Um, Why don't you like the name of that card? It has the word damp in it. Uh, is, is damp one of those words? It's not words? as bad as moisting sphere. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're there's, right. There's the episode. There's our episode. Moistening sphere. I set myself up for that. Uh, so, damping sphere. It's a two mana artifact that says, if a land is tapped for two or more mana, it produces colorless instead of any other type and amount. Like, like one one colorless, like a single one. Uh, and then each spell a player casts costs one more to cast for each other spell that player has cast this turn. This is does things and everyone's freaking out about how it's going to impact legacy. I, I don't know. Um, so uh, as it pertains to the first ability about your your how you are generating mana, um, as always, if there are multiple replacement effects, uh, changing what sort of mana your abilities produce um you get to choose which one applies first and then check and see if any additional ones apply and then apply those um can i can anyone think of any examples of of where that's going yeah, to come things, up things that say like uh if you were gonna tap a land for mana it produces black instead got it yeah if- that makes sense so this is this is gonna be good i don't i don't actually meaningfully know if this is going to have any impact on anything but people are speculating hard on this fancy fancy uncommon um as far as the second ability goes it uh can't even if damping sphere itself was not on the battlefield um it can still see what other and count whatever um additional spells were cast this turn even if it was not physically on the battlefield um so if you just play it later in the turn yeah, it's yeah. it still yeah. it still knows that you cast those seven other spells and tried to storm out beforehand. I, I, I don't know. The next card, Dauntless Bodyguard is uh is a two one for one white. Uh, it says as Dauntless Bodyguard enters the battlefield, choose another creature you control, and then it has the activated ability: sacrifice Dauntless Bodyguard. The chosen creature gains indestructible until end of turn. So a couple of things about this first. Uh, uh, first is you can't respond to that first ability when when it enters the battlefield as it's entering the battlefield you choose this it's not a triggered ability it's a replacement effect that changes how it enters the battlefield so you so when dauntless bodyguard resolves from the stack you choose it as it's entering the battlefield uh what that means is that if it enters the battlefield at the same time as another creature you can't choose that other creature for its ability because it doesn't see it existing yet because it's not on the battlefield yet uh, because you're choosing at the moment immediately prior to it entering the battlefield. Uh, if the protected creature leaves the battlefield, you don't get to pick a new one. Uh, if there is no creature on the battlefield when you play it, you don't get to pick anything. Uh, you can activate the ability even if there is no chosen creature or if the chosen creature doesn't exist anymore. Uh so if there's a reason to get rid of it, you, you can just choose to sacrifice Dauntless Bodyguard for no effect just because you, you can activate that ability. Because sacrificing things is cool. Well, you might want to. If, if somebody's you know trying to Lightning Helix it to gain life or something, you might sacrifice it in response yeah. to fizzle the Lightning Helix. Ooh, fizzling. Yeah. Um, I like this card a lot. I think flavor-wise it's really cute. What's that, Dauntless Bodyguard? Mm-hmm. It is simple and elegant. Yeah, this is going to be a great limited card. It's great on turn one, too. 
because two one. <laughs> Get in there. Yeah, it's aggro. All right. Speaking of aggro, um, this guy this guy is a uh, maybe not necessarily the card, but he he himself. Personally. <laughs> he as as a uh, as a demon friend is aggressive. Yes. Well, a demon friend. We, yes. Yes. Uh, we we prefer uh, demon over friends. Okay. Uh, we. Uh, so this is this is demon lord Belzenlock. Um, Definitely not uh, Beelzebub. One hundred percent not. No. Oh, quick, quick, quick aside. So I had a friend in college. He had a, he would say like, hey, have you met my cat Bubbles? And he'd go, Bubbles? And he'd go, yes, Beazel Bubbles. <laughs> How many times did you hear that? Uh, too many times. I believe it. Uh, he he thought it was clever. And now I've told all of you. But Demon Lord Beazel Bubbles uh, <laughs> is four black black for a six six legendary creature elder demon uh, has flying and trample. Uh, and oh, and get ready for this wall of text. <laughs> um, strap in. We're going for a ride. Uh, when Demon Lord Belzenlock enters the battlefield, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a non-land card. Then put that card into your hand. If the card's converted mana cost is four or greater, so if you get a if you get a biggin, um, repeat this process. Okay. Uh, which means you're then going to start exiling until you hit a non-land card. And if it's, you know, four or greater, you know, you're going to put it in your hand. If it's four or greater, you keep going. When you're all done, uh, Belzenok, Demon Lord Belzenok deals one damage to you for each card put into your hand this way. All right. So once this ability resolves, okay, so Dinners of the Battlefield triggers on the strike, trigger resolves, you're going to keep going. <laughs> Until Oof. you exile a non-land card with converted mana cost three or less, you don't get to choose to stop. <laughs> no, okay? I'm done. It's, I'm done. I've hit my limit. No, 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 no. Please stop. Please stop. No, no, no. Um, exiled lands stay exiled. Um, the damage from uh, Demon Lord's ability is done all at once. It's not de- going to deal one to you several times. It's just, you're going to go through the loop n times, and then it's going to hit you for n damage. Uh, you you can run out of cards this way. Uh, just s- suck it up. <laughs> oh, um, no. That, that's what happens when you play with a demon lord. That's true. Um, if X is zero uh, or doesn't have a converted mana cost, you consider it zero. Okay. Um, if you reveal a or if you exile into and you hit a split card, well, that converted mana cost is going to be the sum of both sides. And that's really all I got to say about uh, demon lord bells and lock. Beazel Bubbles. Beazel Bubbles. The next friend, this one seems a little bit more friendly than the last one uh, to talk about, is Evra Halcyon Witness, which has really sweet looking art. Um, it is a 4-4-4-4 four, 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 four white white. It's a legendary creature avatar. It has lifelink and an activated ability where you pay for and exchange your life total with Evra Halcyon Witness's power. Fancy. Um, I think a few things about that activated ability. Uh, if Evra is not on the battlefield when the ability would resolve, you there there is no swapping that happens. You you, you know, the ability does not resolve. Well, it nothing happens. Um, if the ability resolves and Evra has zero power, um, I'm very sorry. You, oh no! <laughs> I, I, I have some bad news. You're. You, oh no! You have a dead. Just one. A singular dead. A singular dead. 
Um, also, when when it resolves, uh, so Everett, Everett's power will become whatever your life total was. And then I know it, it's not quite as simple as just straight swapping. Um, you will then gain or lose whatever whatever life is necessary for you to reach whatever Everest power was. Um, so if you have something that triggers when you gain or lose life, you are still gaining or losing life. Um, so this is impacted a bit by um, if you have anything that is modifying, well, impacted substantially in some some ways by if if Evra has her power modified. So if she right now is a four, four and she's wearing some equipment that gives her plus three plus O um, and your life is three before you activate her ability, then you swap your life. total will become seven and Everest power, uh, power will become six because she has three plus your plus your plus three from your equipment. So, so her, her, her power is going to be th- Three, three, but she gets the three from the the equipment. Plus, yeah. Right? So you, your life total was previously three. The three will go to her power, but then she'll still be impacted by the plus three from the equipment. It doesn't the what her power was will impact what your life total becomes, but then will she'll still get the buff from the equipment after the fact. I I, I love this card because with with the fact that it's got life link, you can. Like if your life total is is low, you can swap, attack, and then your life will start to go your life will start to go up, and then you can swap it back when it when it gets to a, a good good number. A good good number. Yeah, you know, good good. Yeah. Well what's neat about that is that it doesn't matter so much what uh what your life total is when you exchange it. If it's about to deal damage, your life total kind of becomes the same like thing right because if your life total is 20 and you attack uh and and the, and ever deals damage then your life total becomes 24 but if your life total is 20 and you attack and you swap the power and toughness uh and ever does damage your life total still becomes 24 <laughs> yes because <laughs> of the life that's length. true so like <laughs> so like the question is you know how safe do you feel going into four life for that moment in, before in damage? that in between time yeah, in the in-between time, exactly. You gotta gamble. Our next card is a sorcery. It's a red sorcery called Fight with Fire. It's got beautiful art, by the way, of uh, J.F. Ballard on oh, it. Oh yeah, it's really, um, really pretty. And uh, it's it costs two in a red, and it has kicker of five in a red. So if you pay the kicker cost, uh, then you're looking at paying nine mana for this spell. Um, now, what it says is that Fight with Fire deals five damage to target creature. If this spell was kicked, hey, there's that new templating we talked about earlier. If this spell was kicked, it deals 10 damage divided as you choose among any number of targets instead. So instead of dealing five damage, it deals 10. And instead of being target creature, it's any target. So it can be players and planeswalkers. Anytime you divide damage in this way, if you choose a target, you have to divide at least one damage to that so even though it says any number of targets it's, it's really limited to 10 in this instance uh because everything you divide it to has to get at least one of that damage if you are choosing it as uh, a target you still you have to assign it at least one damage exactly um now if some of the targets are illegal when that tries to resolve you don't get to redistribute it uh that portion of the damage just doesn't happen yep uh 
know, that's that's pretty much all there is about uh, Fight with Fire that we could talk about. But it is one of those. I feel like that dividing uh, dividing damage thing is a thing that comes up uh, every every release notes episode. So, oh yeah. So I would I would like to read you a piece of flavor text off of the card sizzle, <laughs> and I would like you to tell me, and I would like you to tell me who said this quote. It's probably Giant Ballard. It is statistically. Um, The the flavor text is, of course you should fight fire with fire. You should fight everything with fire. Oh, oh, that's Jaya. That's Jaya. I know that one. It's Jaya. And there she is. I really like so Making good on her word. I feel like Jaya is the character that Chandra was in a lot of ways kind of based on. Yeah. And, uh, And I really like that they've done something with her character that is Jaya's that has really taken her in a different direction from that. Like she's still very much like everything, everything should burn. And if it's not burning, then, then we'll fix that. But, (laughs) uh, but like, she's also just kind of this, like this more older, but still badass character. It's, it's really, it's really neat. Yeah. I, I I think, Uh, I think they, they did a good job of not just making me like the same character twice. They did a good, they did a good. Brian gets to talk about another really gross card. Are you excited? Oh, yes. This card is fungal infection. Um, and generally what uh, you do is you get, a, you get some foam put under your nails and it takes care of that. For you. you get some, at least that's what the, that's what the commercials find a cream. Uh, say. Yes. Find a cream. So fungal infection is a black. Uh, it is an instant target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Create a one, one green sapperling creature token. Um, so, uh, cool thing. I really like this card. It's really kind of a subtle way of giving your opponent's creature minus two, minus two, if it's attacking or sorry, sorry, just, uh, uh, giving it minus two to its toughness. If it's attacking, because, uh, since this is an instant, you can, they're attacking with a creature. You can give it the minus one, minus one, and then. Make that sapperling to block. Yay. Fancy's fancy. Uh, it is fancy. Uh, so one of the other things, though, is if the target becomes illegal, uh, the spell is going to fizzle because we can use that word now. <laughs> and you're not going to get the sapperling creature token. Um, let's see here. Now, this is this is getting real, real corner <laughs> Casey here. Um, <laughs> there is a brief period of time when this spell is resolving where where. Um, the creature with the minus one, minus one counter and the sapperling coexist at the exact same time. Cause we don't check state-based actions until uh, a player would get priority. So uh, that creature uh, that, you know, that might be dying because let's say it only had one toughness uh, might have abilities or triggers that would care about the sapperling entering the battlefield. So that creature that you're kid, it doesn't, it's, it's not the creature dies, do, you know, if it's only got one toughness. Yeah, they 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 do exist together yeah. very briefly. Very very briefly. So, that's a that's a thing. Uh that's that's a thing for you rules nerds out there. In case your creatures care about other creatures. Yes. Or uh, somebody else's creatures care about other creatures. Yes. Oh, uh, the next card, you know, um, I, I I really like what they've done with him on Flash. Uh the next card is Grun the Lonely King. Brian, would you care to explain your joke? One of the villains in Flash is a telepathic gorilla named. <laughs> Got it. Under understand now. I, I I also know that I've ruined the joke by making you explain the joke. That's on the WB. It's or CW. It's it's current. You called it the WB, Brian. Which is not current. 
<laughs> so Grun the Lonely King uh, costs four green green for a five five legendary creature ape warrior has kicker three. Uh, it says if Grun the Lonely King was kicked, it enters the battlefield with five plus one plus one counters on it. it becomes even bigger and even scarier. And uh, whenever Grun attacks alone, double its power and toughness until end of turn. I, th- I think this is something that we, we've gone over reasonably often as well. Doubling uh, means that it will get plus X plus O where X is its power. Plus, plus O plus X where X is its toughness. You can, you can double negative numbers. Uh, as far as attacking alone, uh, a creature attacks alone if it is the only creature that was declared as an attacker. Um, if something else is put onto the battlefield tapped and attacking... The Grun still ta- attacked alone because he is the only creature that you declared as an attacker. But yeah, Grun is is scary and here to lonely punch you in the face. Our next card is called Haphazard Bombardment. What a good name for a red card, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a great name, actually. I really like what this card does. It's a six mana red enchantment. It says when Haphazard Bombardment enters the battlefield, Choose four non-enchantment permanents that you don't control and put an aim counter on each of them. Uh, and then at the beginning of your end step, if two or more permanents you don't control have an aim counter on them, destroy one of those permanents at random. So over time, you're, you're going to aim at four things when this enters the battlefield, and over time, all but one of them will be destroyed. A couple of things here. First of all, this ability does not target. You could put these aim counters on anything, even if it has hexproof or shroud or even protection from red. Second, haphazard bombardment does not care whether or not the aim counters came from haphazard came from this haphazard bombardment. <laughs> so if I play one and then I play a second one, I could have eight things out there and I'll destroy two a turn. But the random selection is all things with aim counters and. If somehow I end up in a situation where another card creates aim counters, it will, it will also care about those. As well. Oh, and then last but not least, if the card, you know, if the triggered ability goes on the stack to destroy something with an aim counter, uh, once you have randomly selected it, that means you are you're resolving this ability. So if the opponent wants to respond to that triggered ability, they have to do it before they agree to let their opponent randomly determine which creature is going to be destroyed. Once once we're on that part of the once we're on that step of resolving it, we have passed that point where we can respond before it happens. The 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 mental image of the four aim counters is really just like the little red circle uh with the crosshairs. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. the do, 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 do. Just like rotating over the entire battlefield, just like targeting right. and zooming in on things. Yes. Yeah. That is that is Great. Put that uh, in MTG Arena. Yes. Yeah. It's a very Hearthstone feeling. It is feeling a very effect. Hearthstone feeling effect. Uh, the next card, Helm of the Host, four mana. It's a legendary artifact equipment. Uh, it says, at the beginning of combat on your turn, create a token that is a copy of the equipped creature, except the token isn't legendary if equipped creature is legendary. That token gains haste. Uh, so the token is an exact copy of the original creature. Uh, minus minus one thing. Um, so it's going to copy the the basically the printed card. Um, the token is not legendary, and the fact that it's not legendary is copyable. So if you 
if you make a copy of the token, the copy of the token is also not legendary. Now, this token gains haste. That's not part of the copy effect. It's just part of the creation effect. So that's not copyable. So if you make a copy of the token, it does not have haste. Yeah, so to be clear... You mean if you copy it with another copy effect, not if we put Helm of the Host on the token, because that token then that it creates would gain haste. The copy would gain haste because right. Helm of the Host says it gains haste. So you're saying if you have like a clone or something clone, that makes correct. a copy. Yes. Okay. Uh, thank you for clarifying. Uh, if X is in the mana cost of the creature and is referenced on the card, well, X is going to be zero. Um, you're going to get, with this copy, you're going to get any enters the battlefield triggers or you're going to get any uh, as enters the battlefield replacement effects. Um, now, when the copy ability on Helm of the Host goes to resolve, okay, if there is no equipped creature, you're not going to get a token, okay? However, if the Helm leaves the battlefield with the trigger on the stack. You're going to use last known information and you're going to get a copy of the of the creature as it last existed on the battlefield. So if uh, you're playing against somebody with the helm of the host and you have the ability to either kill the creature or the helm, kill the creature. Seems right. In response to the trigger. I think that's a, a cute card and the art freaks me out. Yeah, the art's creepy. Speaking of creepy, our next uh, definitely not friend is uh, in Bolas's clutches. It is a legendary enchantment aura uh, for mm-hmm. four blue blue um, that says enchant permanent. You control enchanted permanent. Enchanted permanent is legendary. I think this card is really, really cool, but mostly because I like control things and this is just a neat new let me steal your stuff card. You know what my favorite part about this card is? What? The fact that it's an uncommon. So, <laughs> oh so my goodness! This is not going to take up my rare slot in packs and in drafting. This will actually be something you have to play around because people will have yeah, them. You have to be aware of it. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. very real. A few cute little notes about this card: if you have two of them and they're both enchanting permanents of the same name, uh, <laughs> you are going to you will you will want to choose to keep the creature that is enchanted by the impulses clutches that you choose that you also choose to keep you, you could because, because you suddenly have two legendary permanents of the same name being enchanted by two legendary permanents of the same name. So you could choose to sacrifice the impulses clutches of one creature and choose to sacrifice the other creature (laughs) or permanent rather. Um, but that would be silly unless extenuating circumstances. Um, did that make sense as I explained it? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Basically, you would have you would have four legendary permanents, two of which would be named in Bullis's clutches, and two of them would be named, you know, Grizzly, Grizzly Bear, Bear or whatever. And so you'd have to sacrifice one of each. And choosing you want to choose the the, the pair that are together, not not one not. from each set. <laughs> one from <laughs> each. Um, also, if I have if I have an Inbolus's clutches enchanting a grizzly bear and a regular old gl- grizzly bear, uh, the legend rule doesn't apply here because only one of those with the same name is legendary. Oh yeah, that's a really good point. Thank you for pointing that out. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, um, so so ju- go ahead. Go ahead. No, it was, it was it was it was just that even though even though both cards have the same name, the mm-hmm. only one of them 
is legendary, so we're not gonna we're not gonna check. This card does not turn on legendary sorceries, but it might turn on legendary sorceries depending on what you enchant with it. Yep. Yeah. That's so weird. It does not inherently turn on turn turn that on, but it it can. Yeah, that's 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 what I mean by when I was saying earlier that I think it's a little confusing in in what counts for all these things where you care about legendaries. Yeah. The next card is Knight of Grace. Ooh, I get another knight. That's cool. Yeah. Um, knight of Grace is a two mana two two. It's white. Uh, it's obviously a knight. It's also a human. It has first strike. It has hexproof from black. It has Knight of Grace gets plus one plus zero oh, as long as any player controls a black permanent. So uh, this is a new thing we've never seen before. Hexproof from black. Now, it makes sense if you think about it. Uh, hexproof from black just means it can't be targeted by any black spells or abilities from black permanents that your opponents control. That's pretty much all it is. Losing hexproof causes you to lose this too. But but other than that, it's I think it's pretty straightforward. Um it's it's hexproof, but only from black permanents, black yeah. spells. Your product. I, I like it because they they've said they've said that hexproof has has proved to be a little problematic, and this by restricting it somewhat, yeah, uh, uh, kind of gets around that a little bit. I mean, like you could have like hexproof from creatures or hexproof from spells. I think it's great. I th- actually think it's quite elegant. Yeah, I like uh, it quite a bit. They don't they don't want to go back to protection. I think hexproof is uh, limiting hexproof in this way was great design space. That uh, that they went into. I'm, I'm very happy. Yeah, I, I also like it. Next up, Lich's Mastery. Three black, black, black uh, for a legendary enchantment that has hexproof. Okay, cool. Not hexproof from black or just, just plain old. <laughs> regular old hexproof. Just re- regular old hexproof. And it says, you can't lose the game. Sounds pretty awesome. Uh, whenever you gain life, draw that many cards. Uh, that sounds awesome. Uh, whenever you lose life for each one life you lose, exile a permanent you control or card from your hand or graveyard. Uh, that doesn't sound very good. But, you know, if you're drawing all those cards because you're gaining life, okay, seems when Lich's Mastery leaves the battlefield, you lose the game. I feel like this should be like one of those little Gru memes. You lose the game? <laughs> yeah, where it's just like I'm, I'm showing a bunch of stuff and then you lo- then you lose the game. You lose the game. <laughs> um, I like that. Yes. I love that this so, card starts out like all upside. This is great. This right. is great. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, wait. Oh, oh, yes. So um, while you can't lose the game, uh, your opponent can still win the game if there's an effect that says you win the game. Um, so it, the the next thing is uh, it says whenever you gain a life, draw that many cards. Uh, well, you're still gaining the life. Uh, it doesn't replace uh, this is a it's a trigger. So you're going to gain life and you're going to draw a bunch of cards. Uh, same with losing life. That's also a trigger. So it doesn't it doesn't do a replace. Um, so now here's the thing. When you lose life, you've got to exile permanence you control or cards from your hand or your graveyard. Um, when you start, you know, exiling cards from your hand and permanence on the battlefield. You're going to start getting kind of low. It's going to be getting kind of problematic. Eventually, you might have to sacrifice or exile the Lich's Mastery. And when it does, you get to become Gru. Looking at the, you lose the game uh, sign. <laughs> and oh no, you become yeah. Gru. <laughs> yes, and and you're dead. Yeah. No. And you did. Uh... So there's one interesting thing you haven't mentioned. Uh, what happens if I play a second one, Brian? 
Uh, <laughs> oh, bad things. Uh, so don't do that. Well, it's fine. Uh, I can't lose the game. Uh, oh yeah, quite. So yeah, what's so- going to happen is you got you got two of them. Uh, Legend rule is going to kick in. You're going to have to get rid of one of them, and it's going to say, "Hey, you lose the game." And then the other lich's master is going to say, "Like, ah, but I can't though. But I right. can't exactly." Uh, that was that's good. I like that. I'm not sure why you would, but I still like it. Maybe you want to cast another historic spell. Who knows? We can. Speaking of things that are historic, uh, next is Mistra's self replicator, which I think is cute, uh, both art wise and card wise. It is mm-hmm. uh, five mana for a two two artifact creature assembly worker oh man assembly workers um whenever you cast a historic spell you may pay one if you do create a token that's a copy of mishra's self-replicator i think this is very cute um things to note about this uh your the token that you create will also have the ability to will have the copy ability so if you have a bunch of mana you can and historic spells you can Start getting more and more friends here. Uh, it's when it says you can pay one. Uh, you can't pay one more than once uh, for the same uh, instance of Mistress Self Replicator. You can pay one more than once if you have more than one Mistress Self Replicator telling you you can pay one. But for each one, you can only pay one once. The word "one" has lost all meaning in my head. As I was saying earlier, the uh, trigger will resolve before the historic spell resolves. So if that's something that matters to you, um, if Mr. Self Replicator leaves the battlefield before the ability resolves, you're still going to get a token and you can still, and you can still continue the chain if you, because your new copy still has the ability so you can resume. <clears throat> I think this is very, very cool. And it's an assembly worker. Yeah. So all those. Uh, so if you have a uh, a Mishra, it was a Mishra's factory. You can give it plus one plus one. Yeah, that was that was. Well, I was like, oh man, assembly workers. I had I had when I was reading through it, I saw that it was an artifact creature, and I did not fully click to me the assembly worker bit until I was reading it out loud just now, which is really fun. Uh, another fun thing is our next card. It's so uh, cool. Which is. Uh, Moldrotha? I think that's right. I think is how that's pronounced. Yeah, I would say Moldrotha yeah. or Moldrotha, either way. It sounds like it sounds like something Godzilla should fight. Moldrotha <laughs> yes. the Gravetide. Uh it's it costs three black, green, blue, which is how you know it was made for commander. Absolutely. It's a legendary creature elemental avatar. And it says during each of your turns, you may play up to one permanent card of each permanent type from your graveyard. That means that you could play, you know, an artifact, a creature, and an, an enchantment, uh, and a land because we're not casting them, we're playing them, etc. Et from your graveyard. If you have something that has multiple types, so for example, if you have an artifact creature in your graveyard, you can play that as either your artifact or your creature. You can play a land, as I mentioned. Uh, you still need to follow timing restrictions, though, so you can only do it during your main phase. You can't play a land during your upkeep or during the end step. Um, you do have to pay the mana cost. Uh, however, you can pay alternative costs if they're somehow available, and you can definitely pay additional costs like kicker and, and whatnot. 
once you have begun casting the spell, if you somehow lose Muldratha during the casting of the spell, that's not going to impact the fact that you're ca- you're casting it. It's uh, you've already cast it. This this last one, this last one from the uh, was was is a cut and paste out of the FAQ, which seems a little little weird. Uh, so if if you play a card from your graveyard and then have a new Muldratha come into your control for the same turn, you may play another card of that type from your graveyard this turn. Hmm. Seems yeah. Hmm. Because I mean, doesn't that work differently? That that works differently than uh, like if things that let you play like an additional land or something like that. Uh, that is different than things that allow you to play additional land. I think that's because they added special <clears throat> rules for playing an additional land. The, the playing additional lands used to work exactly this way. Right. It's just it just seemed it just seemed odd to me that they uh, that they would uh, make those two things behave differently. Right. Yeah, that's going to be awkward. Yeah. If it's going to be really awkward in Commander because you know people are going to find ways to blink this in and out of play constantly mm-hmm. uh, so that they can keep playing things from their graveyard. I mean, the fact that you do have to pay their costs limits that significantly, but but that's not that's not the end of the world for that's, people that will find a way to break it in Commander. Right. So, all right. Well, um, you know, it's uh, last last thing to note about this is if something's put into your graveyard during your main phase and the stack is empty, uh, you get priority uh, and can can cast it again before anybody has the opportunity to, to respond by removing. So that's, that's an important, an important thing that'll probably come up a lot with this card. I think the card is, is definitely like, hello, welcome to commander. Here's your new home, but I am excited <laughs> yeah. to, to see yeah. what people do yeah. with it. All right. Who's up? What are we, who's talking about this, this wizard from Skyrim or whatever. This is definitely is. not Dr. Strange. Nabin, the Dean of iteration. Um, for one in the blue, it's a two, one legendary creature, human wizard. Um, it says if a wizard entering the battlefield under your control, uh, causes a triggered ability of a permanent, you control to trigger that ability triggers an additional time. Uh, and the flavor text on this card is wonderful. It says, cause, cause the whole gist is you get the triggered ability again. The flavor text is perfect. Now do it again. Yeah, it's very good. It is. Okay. So. Um, Naban, Naban, uh, Naban, uh, affects, uh, affects wizards own enters the battlefield triggers. So if any wizard has, uh, when this enters the battlefield, it's going to affect that as well as any other trigger that happens when a wizard enters the battlefield, a creature or any other permanent ETBs. Um, one thing to note that you don't want to confuse you, the, the difference between a trigger and an enters the battlefield replacement effect triggers start with when and whenever, uh, for that kind of stuff and uh, replacement effects typically start with as this enters the battlefield. Um, uh, Naban's effect doesn't copy the trigger. It actually makes it trigger twice. So you're going to make all the decisions, all the choices independent. If you somehow have two uh, Nabans, Nabans, uh, well, you have one Naban and one Naban. <laughs> right. You have, you have one of each. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Uh, then, uh, then what's going to happen is a wizard entering the battlefield is going to get you three triggers. Uh, this doesn't, this doesn't double. It just gives you an additional, an additional one. All right. So now we're going to get a little weird. We weren't already weird. If, yeah. Uh, so if a triggered ability is linked to a second ability, uh, additional instances of that triggered ability are also linked to that second ability. Uh, so probably I can explain a little bit, but here, we'll just give you an example. So, uh, there's a card called Elite Arcanist. 
when it enters the battlefield, it's it's entered the battlefield trigger will trigger twice. You're going to exile two cards. Um, then what happens is is it's got an ability. I think where if you pay X, you pay, you pay X and you get to cast the card that was exiled. Mm-hmm. In this particular case, the value of X. Uh, for the activation cost of the lead Arcanist ability is going to be the sum of the two cards converted mana cost. And when the ability resolves, you're going to create copies of both cards. So, and you can choose the order in which you, uh, you cast them. That's pretty cool. It's this guy is nuts. Fancy schmancy. Yes. What else is fancy schmancy? Uh, precognition field. Yeah. Being able to do it at any time. So, this is an enchantment. It costs three and a blue. Uh, it says you may look at the top card of your library. You may cast the top card of your library if it's an instant or sorcery card. And you can pay three to exile the top card of your library. Uh, so I'm going to say right now, everybody likes to be real with cards like this. Everybody likes to be really cutesy and be like, in response, I'm going to look at the top card of my library. Oh, you're playing a land in response. I'm going to look at the top card of my library. Please, please. Don't do that. Um, you can. You can. <laughs> You're not cute. Really look at the top card of your library, b- basically all the time. I will explain in a minute when when you can't. Um, even when you don't have priority, it doesn't use the stack. You can just you can just go go look at it. You don't need to say I'm gonna go look at the top card of my library. You can just do it. <laughs> um, I I this is a particularly sensitive subject for me just because it it irks me. That everyone's just trying to be so, so I'm going to, in response, I'm going to look at the top card of my library. Yeah, this came up a lot with, uh, with uh, Sphinx of Dwar Isle, which we used to refer to as Cheaty Peak, Cheaty Peak Sphinx. Is your peaking on. the top card? I, it was, it was Sphinx of, was it Sphinx of Dwar Isle? Yeah, Sphinx of Dwar Isle. Yeah. Oh, I, we always called it Jar Dwar Dwar Sphinx. Oh, that's a pretty oh, good name too. Those are that's both a, that's, quality nicknames. That's... <laughs> Um, Two Peak Sphinx and uh, Dwar Dwar Sphinx. I like that a lot. (laughs) So when I said you can look at the card almost all the time, uh, if the top card of your library changes while you're casting a spell or activating an ability, uh, please wait to look at the top card until you're done because things may change or move around. Just don't be looking at the top card of your library um, when you are... in the middle of casting or activating other things. Right. That's different from resolving. Uh, if you are, you know, if you're resolving something and it exiles the top five cards of your library, you get to see the next one. But, but you mean, while it, while I'm actively in the action of, of deciding how I'm casting this spell. Right. Uh, when you cast the top card of your library, because you can do that with this card, um, you can't look at the next one until you are done casting that, that card. The first card. Obviously, normal timing restrictions will apply to casting the card. Uh, you still have to pay the costs for that card. You don't get sweet free cards off the top of your library. Um, sweet. You uh, can use alternative costs to pay for that. Uh, but that card is not in your hand. Um, you can't cycle it. You can't discard it. You can. You have access to it. You can still play it but it is still not part of your hand. It is still on top of your library. The next card we have is uh, Sealed Away. So Sealed Away is uh, it's a, an enchantment with Flash. It's a two-mana spell. 
Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you exile target tapped creature and opponent controls until sealed away leaves the battlefield. We're getting used to seeing this templating of effect at this point in Magic. Um, it's, uh, you know, if, if this leaves the battlefield before the triggered ability resolves, nothing will be exiled. Uh, if something is exiled, any auras that are attached to that creature go to the graveyard, equipment falls off, uh, you know, the counters don't exist anymore and it comes back. Uh, you do have to target a tapped creature. If that creature somehow untaps before Sealaway's seal triggered ability resolves, uh, it will no longer be uh, a legal target and this ability will fizzle. And it is not illegal to cast this card when there are no tapped creatures on the battlefield. So you can cast this card and then realize you don't have any legal targets for the activated ability or for the triggered ability rather. And that would suck. So please don't do that. Pay attention. All right. Uh, we have Shanna uh, Sisse's Legacy. Uh, she is a green and a white for a zero zero legendary creature human warrior. Uh, Shanna Sisse's Legacy uh, can't be the target of no just abilities your opponents control. Yes, uh, so this is not uh, Hexproof. This is like half of Hexproof. Um, so can't be the target of abilities your opponents control. Uh, Shanna also gets plus one, plus one for each creature you control. So wanted to call out spells your ability control, uh, your spells your ability, spells your ability, spells your opponent controls can target her. Um, her ability does count herself, so she's going to be at least a one-one on the battlefield. Now, here's they—they've kind of with this with this set, they've kind of introduced a new templating. So, normally we would see this as like a star-star ability, and it would say, you know, Shanna gets plus one plus one for each creature, or Shanna's power and toughness is equal to the number of creatures you control. So, normally that would be a characteristic-defining ability, but the way they've done this, this is not a characteristic-defining ability. Uh, it's just a regular old continuous effect that we're going to be talking about in next episode. Um, and so good, she's good. a nice setup. Yeah. She's a zero zero in all other zones. Um, so yeah, it's not, it's, it's, it serves a similar purpose as a characteristic defining ability, but it isn't one. So she's just a zero zero in all zones. Uh, I, can I talk about the card that is definitely not Kaylee from Firefly? I was just thinking that. I was also thinking that. Oh man, <laughs> she looks like she looks like Kaylee with wings. All right, she, anyway. she's so cool. Uh, Tiana shapes caretaker. Uh, she costs three white red or three red white. Um, she's a legendary creature, angel artificer, and she's a three three. She has flying and first strike, but. Most importantly, out of all of these things, she says, whenever an aura or equipment you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you may return that card to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. So if you have some cool auras and equipment, she's going to she's going to keep them around for you. So that ability uh, it create trigger when it triggers, creates a delayed triggered ability to return the the auras or equipment later. Nothing really happens at that time. It just sets up the future trigger. Um, and that will happen even if Tiana goes away, if, if she leaves the battlefield before that uh, the aura or equipment would be returned. Uh, speaking of delayed zone change triggers, uh, the we care about this from a judging perspective. Uh, if you were playing competitive Ariel and you missed your Tiana trigger, what happens? 
when you realize that that des- delayed zone change trigger did not happen, uh, you're going to call for a judge. The judge is going to come over and they're going to say, OK, it's going to happen either now or at the beginning of the next step or phase. And the opponent gets to decide. Right. It's 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 still going to happen. Um, there's a little special section for that under the additional remedies portion of the missed trigger uh, section. So if you want to go take a look at that, by all means, do so. Additionally, if an aura you control is put into the graveyard immediately after Tiana leaves the battlefield, for example, if she is enchanted and then destroyed, like if she is enchanted and then she is is killed, um, in that case, she's gone before the aura is put into the graveyard and you don't get the trigger. If something, if an aura equipment is put into the graveyard during an end step, uh, because of the way it's worded, it says you may return that card to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. Well, we are currently in an end step, so the next end step is the the following one. So you don't get it back right away. So I think she's super cool. Uh, I cannot, as it stands, think of any way in which she is totally broken, but I think she's really cool. Our next card is Torgar Famine Incarnate. <laughs> You Torgar. had a lot of fun saying that, yes. didn't you? Uh, Torgar, which could also be a Klingon name, is a legendary creature avatar for six black black. It's a seven six creature. And as an additional cost to cast this spell, you may sacrifice any number of creatures. Uh, this spell costs two less to cast for each creature sacrificed this way. Uh, so uh, when it enters the battlefield, up to one target player's life total becomes half their starting life total rounded down. It's a silly card. Uh, You can sack as many creatures as you want to reduce the cost of Turgar. It does not have to be just one, two, or three creatures, but you cannot reduce its cost past black, black, but you can reduce, you can reduce it with as many creatures as you like. So if they, if something is happening, that's making your creature more expensive. You could sacrifice more creatures for that. Uh, I imagine that'll be relevant again in commander when you have a commander tax, making it more expensive. Uh, Oh, that's true. Yeah. You can keep reducing yeah, it. Yeah, you could just sack more sacrifice stuff. a bunch of zombies and get rid of it. Um, setting a life total will cause the player in question to gain or lose the appropriate amount of life to get to that life total. So if they have something that says the life total can't change, like Platinum Imperion, it just won't. Or if it says something, have something in play that says they can't gain or lose life, they won't. Uh, setting a life total is technically life gain or life loss as appropriate. Um, and in two-headed... It's a... I was going to say, it's, it was uh, like with Evra, as we talked about earlier, it was it's the same sort of situation. Yep. Uh, and in Two-Headed Giant, your team's life total becomes 15. Well, not your team, the, the uh, target player's life total becomes 15. And, the, and thus, the team's life total becomes 15. Uh, but only the target player technically gains or loses the life in question. And that's all I've got to say about Torgar. And the last card in this mammoth episode uh, that we're going <laughs> to talk about is Verdant Force. Uh, it's for five green, green, green. It is a seven, seven creature elemental that has an ability that says at the beginning of each upkeep, uh, create a one, one green sapperling creature token. And the only thing we're going to point out on this one is that it says on each upkeep, not at the beginning of your upkeep. So if this is um, uh, if you're playing in a two player game, you're going to get uh, upkeep. You're going to get a trigger on your upkeep and on theirs in a two headed giant game. Uh, you're still only going to get it on your turn and on their turn. 
of the other uh-huh. teams. You're not going to get you're not going to get like double double sapperlings or anything like that. There's still only two upkeeps. Right. If it said during each player's upkeep, then that would be different. But since it says each upkeep, you know, my team has an upkeep, your team has an upkeep. Yep. And it doesn't so, and it doesn't matter like that's that's true in any variant where you have the shared team turns option. <clears throat> so like Arch Enemy works the same way, even though there are like six of you. I say you. Be, I say you because I'm the arch enemy. Uh, so that you, <laughs> clearly, uh, even though there are like six of you, um, you know, it's only one upkeep. Yep. Yep. And that's all. That's all that's there is. There is no more. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much for bearing with us as we went over all of these cards. There was a lot to go over this set. Uh, all the new mechanics, all the uh, all the interesting cards with different stuff. Uh, I really appreciate uh, Brogan and Brian having a having the time and patience to go through this with us. Um, and, uh, do you guys have anything you want to say before we sign off? Um, really quickly, I was, uh, in Seattle for the GP a couple weeks ago and I met a lot of people who recognized my voice from the show and that hasn't really happened so much before. And it was, it was really, really nice. It was nice meeting people. Um, so thanks y'all for being awesome and supportive of the show and reminding me that, that, right. People, people listen to this and care about what we do. So it was really, really nice. Yeah, that is a weird feeling. I still haven't gotten over that. When somebody says that they listen to the show, I, I still have, uh, I still kind of am surprised, right? Like, oh, oh, right. you listen to my show? That's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, total strangers <laughs> who I've never seen before. Someone would be like, shout Brogan across like two aisles away. I was like, what, who, what? And they're like, Pu- that I recognize your voice from JudgeCast. That's awesome. Public flattery. Public flattery. I don't know how to handle it. Uh, <laughs> right. That's it, awesome. was, it was really, really cool. In that case, I just want to thank everybody again for listening to episode 198 on the Dominaria release notes. Uh, If you'd like to check out our archive, you can at judgecast.com, along with a how to judge section if you're interested in becoming a judge. If you want to uh, contact us, you can email us. Our email address is judgecast at gmail.com. You can also contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast and on Twitter at twitter.com slash judgecast. And uh, and we will get back to you through whatever means you contacted us. Uh, other than that, I just want to thank everybody again for listening and say that my name is Jess Dunks and I keep it fair. I'm Brogan King and I keep it fun. I'm Brian Perlman and I keep it shiny. So shiny. was because again you know me and story not really doing the thing <laughs> except for this set I, i'm really into this set story i'm, I'm enjoying it a lot so, um so you're anyway. fine you're fine with the fact that they somehow like put the weather light back together even though it blew all the little bitty bits and pieces so here's why i'm fine with that, Brian, the, What's that? yeah there's, there's a really important thing you have to understand about why i'm fine with that okay <laughs> because that that story that happened before yeah i don't care I just don't care. <laughs> Whatever happened before, it was the before time. It was before the my time. And if what they're doing now is cool, I'm fine with it. I don't care what happened before. I know that it was the stuff that happened 600 years before this or whatever. But like, if they can't get Karn to have the same number of fingers inside the same set in the art, <laughs> I'm not worried about consistency in... So- uh, Hold on. In, uh, so you know, is Karn? Does Karn actually have like three fingers on one on a card? Yes, he's a Simpson. <laughs> they're, they're, 
I mean, Karn's, <laughs> Karn has had, gone back and forth between three and four fingers his entire existence. Like, Karn Liberated has three fingers, right? Uh, but they, there are cards <laughs> in this set that have Karn with three fingers and cards in this – with the, the three, like, Mickey Mouse Simpson fingers. And then there are cards that have him with, like, normal human hands. Uh, he's got a thumb and four fingers. And it just drives me batty. Well, and I okay. know that's a stupid thing to be picky about, but – Okay, uh, so so let's talk about finger redirection rules. Finish up on that. <laughs> um, so not so we so if you're never mind. Yep, not going there. Anyway, so so most cards.